I'm talking about something that I think is so relevant to all of us. I'm calling it recovering your cutting edge. Recovering your cutting edge. And I'm talking about, to all of us that are Christ followers, about how you go after coming back to that first love, that, that original sharpness in Christ that many of us experienced not long after we initially gave our lives to Jesus. Or just think about the time in your life when you sensed it was best between you and Christ. It may be another time. And, and as I talk about recovering your cutting edge, I'm not calling us back to a certain set of emotions. Please be aware of that. Because emotions come and go, and there's nowhere in the Word of God, please understand this, where your emotions are connected to the depth of your spirituality. Nowhere. What is the connection is your choice, which is the choice of your will, to be committed. And, and when I use the word passion, I'm not referring to emotional passion. I'm referring to just, again, th that determined, that tenacious, that kamikaze sense of, you know what, uh, I'm not going to let the enemy win. I will make choices whether I feel like it or not. And, and so um, I'm going to tell you where the message came from. Um, I was, it was many years ago, and uh, we were at this time living in Rockford, pastoring there, and I went to front door of our home and took my key and started to unlock it, uh, but it, it wouldn't unlock at the beginning, and, and I, I remember looking at the key again to make sure it was the right one, it was, so I put it back in, and, and most of us have had this experience before, I played with the lock for a while, and finally the lock came open, whereas before it had always effortlessly opened. And, and the thought ran through my head, that's how the Holy Spirit most often speaks to me. And I knew it was the Lord. That's how it is now between you and me. And I, I knew what that meant. He was lovingly saying to me as my father, I used to have the key to your, the door to your heart. And you open quickly and easily and without effort. But now I have to maneuver it a little. I have to, I have to be careful. I have to just fit it right because some of the edges are no longer as they were, sharp and clear before. I think only people who, who are very new in the Lord it may not resonate with me when I say there have been countless seasons in my life when my spiritual cutting edge wasn't there. That doesn't mean you backslidden. That's not what I'm talking about today. Uh, that just means life goes through journeys and seasons, and if you don't fight it off, uh, your best days spiritually are behind instead of ahead. And uh, gosh, uh, you know, countless times that's happened to me, and I think, again, most of us would resonate with it. I, I commented in the first service, I remember being a new, new Christian and going to church and noticing almost with, uh, with fear that people who served the Lord longer, 5, 10, 50 years, it seemed to me that the longer they served the Lord, the less full of his love and commitment they really were. They were girls who were at lavish, you'll get this, they were old wineskins. 
I talked about that at Lavish, not not new ones. And, and they were easily cracked and bumped and all sorts of things like what we talked about at Lavish. And I remember thinking, Lord, I, I don't want to be that. See, you can live 20 years of Christianity and not be 20 years old really in Christ if all you do is relive the first year over and over again. But I, I wanted... I wanted to grow. I wanted to be uh, more fiercely committed to him. Uh, I, wanted, I wanted to have the fruit of the Spirit cultivated more in my life. So listen to this passage. It's going to be kind of our anchor passage for this morning. 2 Kings 6, verses 1 through 7. Matter of fact, if you don't mind, read it with me off the slides and read it with a little feeling so that it, you're not depressing. When we hear you read, read it, read it out loud with me, will you? The company of the prophets said to Elisha, Look, the place where we meet with you is too small for us. Let us go to the Jordan, where each of us can get a pole, and let us build a place there for us to live. In other words, hey, our Bible college or our Atlanta Leadership College, a place in our dorms too small, let's build a bigger one. Thanks, because the, 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 the company, and another reference called it the Sons of the Prophets, these were uh, men that were training for the work of the Lord underneath Elisha. Keep going and read it. And he said, Elisha, go. Then one of them said, will you please come with your servants? I will, Elisha replied, and he went with them. They went to the Jordan and began to cut down trees. As one of them was cutting down a tree, the iron axe head fell into the water. Oh, my Lord, he cried out. It was borrowed. The axe head, the axe was borrowed. The man of God asked, where did it fall? Where did the axe head fall? Keep reading. When he showed him the place, Elisha stuck a stick and threw it there and made the iron float. But listen to this. Lift it out, he said. And then the man reached out his hand and took it out. So he pulled the axe out. Now, let me divide the message this morning into two segments so you can track with me. What kind of person does this happen to? Who has this spiritual cutting edge go, uh, go on the blitz? And secondly, how do you recover that cutting edge spiritually when it happens? Because again, it will happen to all of us who are Christ followers, and it will happen, I mean, goodness, I, I can't, I've lost track of how many times in my own life. Uh, let me briefly hit the kind of person this happens, so you don't think this is just for the bad guys, quite the contrary. First of all, it happens to what is called in some of the versions, the sons of the prophets. They were basically the Atlanta Leadership College gang that were saying, I want to be the best I can be for God. And, and so these were not people that stayed on the spiritual edge. They were all in people. Number two, uh, I think this happens to people with spiritual growth and vision. Because remember, these guys were saying to Elisha, Elisha, the Bible college is too small. Let's build a bigger one. And, and I, I love that this amazing church is launching an exciting new campus. You know, how awesome. 
Let's let's build a bigger one. Let's make a bigger house. And and so they weren't the people standing on the sidelines saying, ah, ah, you know, nah, we don't want to mess with that. We like it the way it is. They were saying, let's they have vision. They they wanted not only for numerical growth, but you sense that they wanted to grow as people. And then last of all, understand this. As I read this, they were young men submitted to biblical authority because they were saying, they were looking at him and they were saying, how do you feel about building a new one? They weren't saying, we've heard from God and we will build. They asked how they felt. And then they went on. They didn't say, oh, man, we don't want you around. They said, come with us. Come with us. We'd be honored by your presence. See, lots of times we forget this, to have spiritual authority. We have to be under spiritual authority. Do you hear that? See, I still have a pastor. My husband is with Jesus now, and he was obviously my primary spiritual authority, but I have a wonderful pastor back home, Dennis Rouse, who, hey, whether I agree with everything he says or doesn't, which I do, by the way, he's breathtaking, the issue is I better make sure my spirit is submitted. Youth leaders, coach in the cadre, I have a board of directors. They just run that. I better understand. They may or may not go with me on certain things, but I'm submitted to them. And, and so what I want to say to you is these guys that, that who were the man who was part of this company who lost his axe head, they were not, uh, they were not losers spiritually. Basically, I want you to remember that this happens to the best. The very best of us can have moments of of saying, gosh, it's not Jesus between you and me. Again, not backslidden, not going to hell, but just not what I would want it to be. So let me jump in quickly on how do you recover this? You know, how do you recover your spiritual accent? And and when I, lots of times, when I would do a message like this, I just reach inside of me. And I think, what have I had to do through the whole run? So let me unpack it for you a little bit, if you may. And I'm going to uncover. I have allergies. Anybody else have allergies? And I've now taken two of the little pills that are supposed to dry me up. But my sinus cavity doesn't know it's supposed to be dry yet. In Jesus' name. All right. So uh, how do you recover your cutting edge? Verse 5. It says there, that the, the man who dropped the cutting, the, the accent off, said, oh, it was borrowed. Now catch that. That's really important. I think you honestly, first of all, have to admit to yourself if you own your spiritual accent or if it was borrowed. I have to admit that. I have to say to myself, Jeannie, it is, it is your heart as big for God as your ministry? Did you catch that? See, I, I can forever double talk and manipulate and make excuses for myself, or I can honestly admit, hey, for this season, I've let it be borrowed a little bit. And, and you know what? There's nobody who does nothing wrong with having other people pour into you, everything right about that. But you have to own your own accent. Nobody can do that for you. 
And for so many years, when Sam and I senior pastored, and, and I'm sure your church doesn't have any of this because you're all spiritual, but the churches we pastored, occasionally people would leave the church because they'd say Sam wasn't anointed enough or the worship wasn't anointed enough or all the silliness. Listen, folks, it's not their job to give you your spiritual accent and sharpness. It's not their job. And so I had to acknowledge sometimes when it was borrowed that I had allowed nothing but hand-me-down revelation, which again, nothing wrong. I want to grow as they preach. I want to grow from moments like lavish, but it can't just be that. And, and I wrote on my little iPad here, most people don't want a revelation from God. Instead, they want a man or woman who had a revelation from God. They don't want to pay for their own digging in the Word, reading when they're bored out of their mind, underlining, saying, Lord, I'm not coming off these five verses till something stands out to me. And, and then I said, listen, please know that this guy who lost his axe head could have just as easily joined the crowd and kept going through the motions of beating down the trees, because I envision there are a bunch of them cutting down trees at the same time, a bunch of noise, a bunch of racket. He could have just kept the stick going and probably, you know, kind of put it down here when they got together, and nobody would have known. So understand there is that moment of honesty that if you're wise, you have with yourself before Jesus, just like many of us this morning are having, where you're saying, hey, I'm not a bad person, I'm not backslidden, but you know, hey, the axe head is not as sharp spiritually as once it was, which again, I want to repeat for the third time. I'm not talking feelings. I so, the modern church, that's why I wrote that book, Finding God When He Feels Far Away. The modern church so often, uh, you know, makes it sound like everybody's feeling so alive spiritually all the time. That's not true. If you have to feel all the time, you're not in love with Jesus. You're in heat with him. Did that bother you? I'm sorry if I offended some of you. <laughs> but, but the truth is, again, you know, even animals can do that. Love is a choice, often not a feeling. And, and so, again, just saying, hey, I, I don't want to blend in with the ground. I really want to be my best personal self spiritually. Every great athlete knows you have to fight after a few seasons to be your best. Like Tiger Woods is even reinventing himself. Whether you're happy with his morality, he's, ba he's back. He's back. I'm going, shoot, how in the world? But, you know, greatness in any arena, including pursuing Jesus, keeps fighting to reinvent and tweak. Do you hear that? So, so you admit, hey, it was borrowed. It was borrowed. Then how do you recover your spiritual cutting edge? Verse 6, and the man of God asked, Elisha, in other words, looked at the guy who lost his accent and said, where did it fall? That's a big one. So I'm going to say to you, at least for me, I have to take a moment to even, first of all, sincerely admit it. It's not what it was to say, to repent, to say, Lord, I... See, I love repenting on this side of eternity because forgiveness is already given. The Word of God tells me that as a Christian, I'll stand before two judgments. One, the great white throne, heaven or hell. Second one, the judgment seat of Christ where my works will be tried by prayer. I had a whole lot. The Bible says that let a man examine himself. I had a whole lot rather repent for things here 
than stand before him one day and have him say, <clears throat> Jeannie, enter into heaven, but it could have been so much more. And so you, you again, where did fall? You, you take the time to not only repent, but even equally important, you figure out where you lost it. Where'd you lose the accent? Where'd you lose the spiritual sharpness? Now, I'm going to give you some of mine, some of the places I lose my sharpness, and maybe you'll resonate with a few of them. I lose mine when I get too busy, too tired, when I've allowed my schedule to become uh, just too stacked. You know, I, I love the Spurgeon comment, uh, when fatigue walks in, faith walks out. I lose my spiritual edge when I let myself compromise and, and fudge on what I call the spiritual basics, my daily appointment time with Jesus. And back home, I call it to the teenagers and even the college kids. Look, I call it the 10 and 10. And 10 minutes in word, 10 minutes in word, even if, if normally my quiet time is certainly longer than that. But I make the mistake of saying, oh, I'm going to wait till I have longer to do it later on today, and later on often never comes. So though I'm not a uh, get up and, and how many of you are morning people? Can I see that you wake up, Cherry? You wake up, Cherry. You, I thought you did. I knew your hand was going up. I looked at I thought, he's a cherry bunny in the morning. So was my husband. He was like amazing, even sang in the morning, nearly drove me crazy. But uh, I am not a cherry bunny in the morning, but I've had to train myself to get up earlier because I can control early morning. Yeah. The evening, oftentimes, things happen and not in control. But I think a successful week is five out of seven days if you had a quiet time. You know, so it, again, when I, when I violate the spiritual basics, and I even put friends down there, that's, it doesn't matter how adult you are. It's not just college kids and teenagers. It's all of us. It doesn't mean you hide in a holy huddle. But if I don't have a life group, what do you call them here? What do you call your small groups? Life group. So if I don't have some Christian interaction with friends and, and stuff, gosh, I'm eventually going to feel my accent get dull. Then for me anyway, I, my accent gets dull uh, when, with the, the drain of long-haul pressure. It can be pressure financially, pressure physically, pressure in your family. You know, we all deal with pressure every day of our life. If you don't, you're a worthless wonder who takes no responsibility. <laughs> so if you haven't felt pressure in the last month, get a grip and take some of ours. But, <laughs> but all of us know sometimes we can just let it go too long haul without creating a little tiny oasis of an hour doing something that's replenishing. I think for me, my accent is not as sharp when I let hurt and disappointment bear in too hard. And, and that's life. We all have it. And always remember that the people who love you most can hurt you deepest. But, but for me, you know, hurt or disappointment. And then, obviously, I, my spiritual axe head loses its sharpness when I've allowed unconfessed sin. When I'm just not owning 
We can all double talk our sin. And, and for some of us, that sin will be actions, you know, things we do or don't do. Others of us, many of us who followed Christ for a while, the sin will not be an action, it will be an attitude. And you may hide it well. But again, gosh, Jesus looks inside and says, I want to grow the fruit of the Spirit in you. Love and joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, meekness. And that attitude and that attitude's not lining up. Have you ever gone through a season in your life where you were secretly in your head, though you didn't tell, irritated and frustrated with half the world? You're a loser. You're lazy. <laughs> you're ungrateful. I mean, just start down the list. But... When, when those seasons come, it's me. It's not them. It's me. And I have to own my attitude. Does that make sense? I have to own it. And then I, I last point, I'm going to tell you when I say, listen, you got to figure out where the accent fell, how you lost it. I lose my access when I focus on pleasing the wrong audience. I'm a people pleaser. Um, part, of it, part of it's a strength because I love deeply, but it works against me as my weakness. Watchman Nee says, beware the horses in your life, for it is precisely where man or woman is gifted that they're dangerous. That's Watchman Nee. And, and so I deeply love authentically. But on the other side, that can make me, that can be negative. I'm, I, I can be a people pleaser. I've made much growth in it over the run, much growth, much growth, but yet I have to watch it or I focus on pleasing the wrong audience. And I said to the girls yesterday, whoever or whatever breaks your focus breaks your calling. And, and so I have to say, Lord, I'm running this thing. I'm playing it out for an audience of one. I may not, other people may misread, misunderstand, but I, I'm going to have to let that rest. Though easily, for me, lots of times that's tough. Last of all, how do, well, how do you deal with it? And I'm being a bad girl, and so I apologize. The senior pastors here don't do this, but you're the last service in, so I'm letting myself have more fun with you. So I promise I won't do it much more, but I just looked at the clock and went, ooh, ooh, I'm in trouble. So, so everybody else here, they get out at the right time. I'm the guest speaker. I'm the heathen. Act like you have to go to the bathroom and leave if you're bored with me. All right, so... I have done it before on other people. All right. <clears throat> verse 7. Um, verse 7. When it, it says, how do you deal with losing um, your spiritual sharpness, your accent? And interestingly, it says there, and we read it, Elisha, you know, made the accent float. But then he looked at the guy who lost it. Elisha didn't reach in and pick the axe head up himself. He said to the guy who lost it, take the axe head up for yourself. And in another translation, it reads simply, lift it out yourself. So what I want you to have the star and underline by is only you can sharpen your own spiritual axe head. Hear that. We are a generation that way too easily passes responsibility to other people. We feel like we're entitled to having people jack us up, make us feel a certain way. That's just not true. And, and biblically, 
you know, when the Word of God says work out your own salvation with, and notice the next two words, fear and trembling, a godly kind of fear, the sense of saying, Lord, I, I don't want to keep making excuses, but I'm going to own my own spiritual sharpness. And for many of us, this is a beautiful morning to say, hey, again, nobody's bad. Nobody's backslidden, but saying, I, I want to be more. Does that make sense? I want to be more. I want to stand before Jesus one day and say, not only in my ministry. See, I, I think I said it a moment ago, or maybe it was first service. I, I'm determined not to enter into heaven and stand before the Lord with an enlarged ministry, but a shrunken heart. And, and so I want to own my own spiritual sharpness. And I love Revelations 2, um, verses, there's verses 4, and then it goes on to 5, uh, where he was talking to the church of Laodicea and saying, hey, you've lost your first love, you know? I hold this against you because you've forsaken your first love. And then go to the next slide uh, up there, please. There you go. Begin to, and this is the next verse, do your first works again. Um, in other words, he was saying in that translation of the church there, listen, what did you do, your first works? Like in the, the time that you recall that you felt like <clears throat> we, you and me, were the closest we were. And I want to keep stressing, because again, in, in contemporary church world, everything is feelings. You recognize that feelings are the new facts of the 21st century. And that's desperately wrong. And, and so, again, to say, okay, listen, go back and do your first works again. Do your first works again. And, and begin to say, okay, Lord... I want to, uh, the things that maybe reading when you don't feel like reading, praying when you don't feel, having worship, playing around your house all day, reaching out to help a next door neighbor or somebody at work when you're not in the mood, whatever those first works are. And, and so for me, again, you know, those first works I wrote down here, uh, time alone with him. Uh, taking time to communicate. I had a son that used to hang in my office. When you don't feel like praying, talk to God about it. Do you hear that? When you don't feel like praying, talk to God about it. Because that's what prayer is. It's obviously an oxymoron. Communicating with him. And, and I think another mark of, of your first love is not only spending time with him, communicating with him, not... Have, have you ever been, uh, I've done this before, maybe you haven't, you know, sometimes I think that if I'm not yelling at the ceiling when I'm praying, God's not hearing. And that's not at all, you know. I Thank God I didn't have that relationship with my husband. Just, I love you! <laughs> Glory to Sam! That that was not, I, you know. And And so, again, communicating. And then sacrifices. The last one, you know, when you really love somebody, you sacrifice for them. Right before the stroke happened, Sam had bought me, um, he was so sweet, he bought me two little diamond necklaces. We're not well-to-do. And, and so I, he bought two because he couldn't figure out which one I'd like better, and he thought both were wonderful, and there was a good salesman at the jewelry store. So two little diamond pennants. And I secretly thought I'm going to take them both back because I knew they were sacrifices. I knew 
I could slip him back on the credit card and he probably wouldn't even see it. And fortunately, but unfortunately, the stroke happened uh, before I had a chance to take him back and I was ever so glad because I took one back, but I kept one that I wore yesterday, just one I need to feel him especially close to me, but he sacrificed always for me. That's what love does. And love isn't usually sacrificial just financially. Love is sacrificial in time, in emotional energy, you know, all of those sorts of things. And so I said on my notes here, I think many of us have our spiritual relationship go a little cold with the Lord because we let it stop costing us. And by that, I don't mean just monetary things, emotional energy, investment, time, all of those things. <clears throat> Where am I in all of this? I thought interesting is I, I'm about to tell you a true closing story and then give you an opportunity to respond. Uh, gosh, I'm, I'm, I'm listening to myself. Uh, I know exactly what, and it's not, I'm very much a Christian. You don't, don't everybody come around to me. You always have well-intentioned people going, I could tell something was wrong. Oh, no, just shut up. Yeah. <laughs> just shut up. But uh, the reality is I have allowed my schedule to get too packed um, with a, a board of directors meeting, a cadre going to a victory leadership advance, all really pretty much requirements on this schedule. I leave here and then get up uh, about 4.30 tomorrow. We leave for the airport for another uh, leadership commitment that I'm speaking at another conference. It, it got a retreat for 800 high school students right around the corner. I, I've let it get too stacked. And, and you're not your best personal self. But I think the thing that I know is I'm letting somebody that I love deeply, uh, my fault, not his, hurt me a little bit too much. My fault, not that person. Somebody, uh, somebody that I led to the Lord a billion years ago. And, and see, again, I've got, I've got to own that stuff. Does that make sense? I can forever blame shift, or I can say, you know what? I am the problem. When you blame shift to other people and other circumstances, you give away your power. Did you catch that? You give away your power. When you own your responsibility in that, you can make it better. So that's why I don't want to give my power away. I want to say, Lord, it, it's how I'm responding to it. It's my choice. I've got to, I've got to, I've got to fix it. And, and so let me tell you a closing, supposedly true story that is such a motivator to me. Uh, stories told about high school football quarterback. Uh, he was uh, in a country town where, and we all relate to like uh, those mystical uh football or basketball teams like if you've ever seen remember the titans or friday night lights or mighty ducks for crying out loud you know yeah, yeah go get him but um you know he was he was playing as a senior as quarterback for this country team but his junior year had done really well that's why they made him quarterback but his senior year and all the athletes in the room understand you just can go through time periods where it's just not happening and, and it wasn't for him. It just, he just, it wasn't going well. And uh, um, 
So, you know, they were heading into their big game. It was senior night. And that country high school, like most colleges, high schools, had an arch rival. And uh, so they were, they were going to play. In. And so he knew he probably would be put in for the first few minutes. But uh, the backup quarterback was doing much better than he. And so he said, hey, I'll, I'll, uh, at least he'll let me play a little bit. Uh, Monday night, though, he was called out of practice and the game was Saturday night, and received the news, none of us ever want to hear about somebody we love. His... Did you hear that? Okay. Maybe it's Jesus in a female voice now. Okay. All right. I think we got another tape or something running. Or maybe not. Maybe it's just a loud person in the lobby. So... um, the, the beauty was he was called out and and he the beauty was he had been very close to his father but he received the news that his dad had had a stroke much like my husband had but the stroke had kicked an aneurysm into reality and so he raced to the emergency and then um, was there when his dad took his last breath Word, of course, spread immediately to the team and the coach. The next day, the coach, being a man of integrity, was on the senior's front doorstep just saying, listen, I I know I can't make it better, but I just want you to know that on behalf of all the guys on the team and myself, gosh, we're so sorry. You've lost your dad. And he spent a few minutes together with him, and then he said, listen, Please, obviously, I know you won't be playing in the game Saturday. No, I beg your pardon. The game was Friday night. The funeral was Saturday morning. I know you won't be playing in the game Friday night. But we and the team will all be there Saturday morning to support you at your dad's funeral. And and the young, the senior in high school, the quarterback, got real amped when he said this. He said, oh, coach, no, I know I've had a bad season. And I know you may not be able to keep me in long, but I'm begging you. I want to play in that game worse than I've ever wanted to play in my life. I'm, I'm begging you, sir, respectfully. At least let me start. And then if I don't, if I don't perform, you can pull me out. And the coach was taken back by that. He was just trying to be kind to the young man. He said, gosh, yes, of course, but I I just thought with your dad's funeral and and all of this, you wouldn't emotion. No, 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 I I really want to play. And so you're fast forwarding and figuring out the end of the story or I wouldn't be telling you. When Friday night came, that senior in high school played like a man from another world. You know, the passes were all magic. I, gosh, he was everything he had been his junior year on steroids. He wasn't on steroids, by the way. But I mean, I said that went wrong way to say enlarged. Amazing. So they not only won against their arch rival, but they won big. And they, they put him, as teams often do, they, they grabbed him on the field, put him on their shoulders and carried him off screaming and yelling. And they got to the locker room, and after everybody, you know, had, had, had just, gosh, it was unbelievable victory. Unbelievable. Things calmed down a little bit. The coach said, loud enough for the whole team to hear. He said, what happened to you out there? Kids' name was Rob. Rob, 
really, I've never seen you play. I'm, ne- I'm not sure that this high school has ever seen a quarterback have that kind of a game before. What, what happened? And the senior in high school said, oh, coach, um, I love my dad. And, and what most of you know is that my dad has not been at my games because I'd explain to those of you that ask, um, gosh, when I was only around four, his retina severed, and he's been blind my all these growing up years. And, and what some of you don't know is that I, along with my mom and dad, our family, we're, we're Christ followers. So I know where my dad is right now. He's, he's really in heaven. And Hebrews 11 has this, this portion in the scripture where it says that some of the saints lean over, as it were, the balconies of heaven watching us. So, Coach, tonight, why did I play hard? For the first time, my father watch me play ball. Why am I determined to keep my accent sharp? Ah, a thousand reasons that I've been having for many years since I began the journey with him. But now I got a new one because I got an amazing hero probably leaning over the balconies occasionally, watching me play ball. Now, listen, let me tell you, you don't have to have somebody you love deeply, and Ryan, a worship team, come on up. You don't have to have somebody you love deeply in heaven watching you to feel motivation. I want to remind you, why are you fighting for your spiritual accent to remain sharp, to come back and and say, I'm going to figure out where I dropped it so I can make some tweaks in my life, some changes. For some of you, it will be small. For others of you, they will be large ones. I spoke to a lady at the end of first service, and I won't say too much, but uh, she's facing a major concern, and she'll have to make some major decisions for her accent to be what she wants it to be. But here's what I say to all of you. The game we're in now, for kingdom purposes. Folks, this isn't warm-up. We're in fourth quarter. I know that. We're in fourth quarter. And, and so, listen, your father's watching you play ball. And we can transition to life if you will. Our father's watching us play ball. Why don't you stand with me, would you? Again, thanks for letting me go a little longer than normal. And if any of you are interested, and again, I probably ate too much pizza in uh, your out of high school, uh, in your 20s probably, in uh, uh, Atlanta Leadership College, just give me a name and a phone number in my hand or Christina's hand at the table, and then we'll give you info, see if you're interested in visiting. But here's the deal. You don't have to go to a place like Atlanta Leadership College to say I'm all in for Jesus. You hear that? It's never too late. You're never too old. You're never too young. But you'll have to pick up your own accent. I know. I know the things. I've already cut my travel schedule back. I'm still traveling, but 50% less. You know, 
And I'm already saying to myself, Jeannie, just because that son in the Lord, you wouldn't know who he is, somebody, whatever, just because it's wounding. Now, you're going to have to be bigger than the wounds. I'm having to own my own mind. But I admit to you, my hand is up right now. I admit to you, again, not out of some willful big sin, but just saying, Lord, I've let the schedule and I've let the disappointment take a piece of my heart. So when you put the key in the door to my heart, you have to jiggle it a little bit now. I don't want him to have to jiggle the key. Do you hear that? 